Hello folks and welcome back to Views from the 405. Number 13. Number 13. Uh, well, it is almost certainly number 14, except uh, our July issue, uh, we had some technical difficulties because obviously number 13 is unlucky. Yeah. Not that we're a suspicious bunch. No, but it's actually quite fortuitous because that was meant to be our June one and now we should be doing our July one, but there wasn't that much that came out in July, so we're going to kind of do a top five from June and top five from July. Yeah. So it works out quite well. Yeah, and that'll be quite... It wouldn't be it wouldn't be too intense. We'll have we'll have a, a, a good time. It's too hot to give too much... <laughs> Literally. ...insight. So, and some uh, of these June albums, like, I can barely remember. They seem so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm listening to October albums. Yeah. That's, that's where I am. Yeah. No. No, these albums are great. I can't... I remember... Yeah. So, uh, if if this the, if you're here you're here for too much in depth analysis, we can only offer very gentle levity. I'm afraid. If you're here to listen to Guardian Football Weekly, you press the wrong podcast. <laughs> well, no. Well, to be fair, if, if we're going into not to d- d- digress too much in the what, but I now believe uh, Guardian Football Weekly has now gone the full banter football option. It's like I said, it's a adjacent to you know like. Um, Soccer AM or oh, talk wow. sport. Rather. I haven't listened to football but, weekly uh, yeah, in a year. Yeah, so to- totally football is the more like tactics option. I feel like they've actually diverted quite explicitly at this point. Well, let's um, hope uh, we, we are closer to totally football. I, I certainly I certainly believe we are. I certainly believe we are. But not to... Uh, not to die. I, I, we digress. Um, shall we? Forgive us. It's what we do. It's what podcasts are it's what, it's what all podcasts are doing. So I know which... But this is... Uh, a, this signals how good a podcast <laughs> yeah. we are the more digressions you have it's a direct correlation to quality yeah so watch us at the top of the itunes charts uh, in about a month's time um so let's dive into june what is our fifth choice for june and we've just we've effectively just gone top five for them we're not, not going like to the, the anomalous yes thing so number five we have dj richard with Dies Ere Xerox. Yeah, how the hell do you say that? Dies Ere Xerox. I think it's Latin. I think it's, it's a Latin Dies. name. I think it's Dies Latin. But uh, anyway, this is the second LP from the American producer who lives in Berlin and kind of uh, apes the Berlin uh, rigorous techno style. His previous album, Grind, was one of my favorites of that year. This one has taken a lot longer to sink in. It doesn't seem as... Firstly, not as diverse and definitely doesn't have any bright spots on it. It seems quite dour mm. and, and dark and moody than his previous. But you've really got into it, haven't you? I really liked it. And I think I don't, don't know why. It probably was because like when it came, arrived in June, I was having a really shit time and I needed a really dense, dark, but also quite agitated techno album to like get me get me going and... Uh, it certainly it certainly helped in that regard um i think it's just i think it's it's not as explicitly varied but there's a lot of different textures and a lot of different um moods to it mm. like um something like in broad daylight for example is a bit more chilled yeah as a, as opposed to vanguard which is one of my favorite songs of the year yeah, actually vanguard is amazing which is just it's excellent and when it's like i think that's one of the like those perfect examples of like an assembly of a song that you can cl- clearly map out and articulate the like the mechanics and the separate patterns and loops of an electronic song and then when that goes on for like about 90 seconds and then there's that snare 
which kicks in and it's the most sat it's one of the most satisfying moments of music this year when that snare starts hitting yeah um you said agitated. I think agitated is a good word mm. for it because it's never like thumping or mm. angry, mm. but it is like there is like a like a tempestuous undercurrent mm. to it, which you can hear in songs like Vanguard and uh, Ancestral mm. Helm. Um, that just yeah, it's just it kind of lures you in to this zone, and then yeah, as you said, like a kick or a, or a, a, a good thump will come in mm. and kind of just stir you a little bit without ever making you want to like fully get up and dance or pump your fist or anything. It's just like a yeah, yeah, and then what I think also with that, like, I think is what's very impressive about that is that it does it with very little distortion or like there's no break beats. It's just the melody. It's just the euphony of it. It's just the sound of it rather than any explicit like production techniques, which I think is quite impressive to to, to, to like pervade that type of atmosphere. Yeah, I think it kind of tails off a little bit. Mm. I think it could. I think the last kind of three tracks past four tracks after three tracks after final mercy kind of do the same thing could have lost maybe one of those and there are a few kind of fully beatless tracks on it i seem to remember it's been a while mm, like yeah. fully ambient tracks that i don't know if they really work or maybe they was just mm. me maybe i wanted something more mm. pulpy pulverizing but yeah i'd say there's at least nine really good songs on here uh, it's a couple of fucking awesome thumpers mm, yeah. and it is quite unique in in techno uh, that I've heard this year, I think it's got, it's got an auto kind of style to it. Mm. Uh, it's it kind of reminds me of, of how Rival Consoles is unique in its own way towards its maker DJ Richards. Dizary Xerox is also kind of I don't know. I feel like I get to know him a little bit more of what his proclivities are mm. uh, through listening to this. Weirdly enough, yeah, definitely. That was good. Yeah, it was true. Although I just uh, as I quite say, boss, I saw. Uh, Rival consoles on on Saturday at Visions Festival, and he was excellent. But he also he like he seems like genetically the the physical composite of like every guy like every male in the music industry. <laughs> just, <laughs> really, he's just just like really short back and sides, like a uh, white tee, uh, brown hair, just uh, the like the so it's carefully trimmed beard and everything. It was, it was like, oh, you're, you're every guy in Fallen Twitter. Whereas uh, DJ Richard is kind of interesting looking. He has long blonde mm, hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I sort of saw, saw him at Far Festival and it was, it was really, he was really, he was amazing actually. He was really yeah. good. Did he play any of his own tracks or was, could you tell that, that like the, the, what he was playing was sim- similar in ilk to what's on the cell? <laughs> I wasn't in a <laughs> Not in that state. kind of state. <laughs> yeah. 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 I wasn't in a good way to, uh, to do that. Um, yeah, but let's, uh, let's move on. swiftly to uh, let's eat grandma this is one where we've done another of our classic double bills where mm. i spoke to them and you in- you reviewed the album mm-hmm. which is i'm all ears their second album i almost said debut because they're only 19 their mm. best childhood best friends rosa and jenny from norwich uh and yeah it's kind of weird that this is their second album when they're only 19 the first one uh came out when they were in their mid-teens and you could and that was kind of uh 
what was half the charm of it. But also there was also, there was a definite talent mm, and uniqueness yeah. there, which they have kind of blossomed a little bit into their own. Maybe it's not as bizarre as the first one. No. Uh, and the first one harped on like fairy tales and, and gruesome things like that, whereas this is more of a modern kind of, this is what it's like to be a 19-year-old in 2018 album. Yeah. Uh, but it's come out like for for such young women, they have made some impressive statements on this album with songs like Hot Pink, mm. coupling with producer like Sophie has mm. been extremely, uh, I don't know, impactful. Yeah. Label but, mates. Yeah, label mm. mates. That's mm. how they got put in touch yeah. in the first place. So whoever a transgressive is doing, pulling the strings behind the pictures, is behind the music is a good... Or getting paid enough. Yeah, well, I hope that the, both right. of these albums have made them some good money. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see, Grandma and Sophie, which we might talk about later. Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm all ears. Uh, what do you make of it? Yeah, I I, I reviewed it. I gave it a 7.5. Yeah, which um, I, w- I would have gone higher, but mm. uh, you called it slight, which I kind of get. Because yeah. even though it's 50-odd minutes and 11 tracks, there's like three or four instrumentals. So there's only like eight actual tracks. Yeah, but I think emotion. I think my thing with it, that it it didn't have a cutting edge to it. Like it was very, it's incredibly accomplished. Yeah, and it's very satisfying in its hooks and everything. And it's like some of the songwriting is incredible, especially like tracks like Donnie Darko and I will be waiting. Like the patience and the everything of that is is incredible. Eleven minutes and nine minutes. Yeah. uh, but it's also even just in my while we're waiting, it's like in a microcosm. But yeah. it's like the the actual build up of the tracks are superbly patient and superbly measured. Yeah. But it's it's just that I feel like it's there's no real stakes to this. And I get like they're they're singing about important things. They're not just singing about romantic acts, they're singing about like um like men's intrusion on their lives and the subtleties and everything. And I, I, I guess this could be just from a male perspective. But as I like even as the thing in my review, I make the point of melodrama. Like a truly great pop album, there's stakes at play. You feel like there is that well, that synonymous word, but that uh, penonymous word, melodrama. There's the theatrical side to it. Is like everything matters in that point. And I feel this one's too contained. And again, this is this is one of those occasions where it's a very good album, and I'm just I'm, I'm just highlighting the night picking just for balances, just playing devil's advocate. But it's like a, it's an excellent album. Even songs like even like sort of like more basic songs like Ava, which is just like a really chilled but quite moving ballad. Um, and it's not just me, which is just like a synth pop banger. And the, the, the thing I always say is like a, it's like a medley of all things that are happening in pop in the minute. Yeah. So you've got like the abrasive thuds of Sophie. You've got the synth pop. Um, emo of churches and just or just like straight R and B with and you know, even so, I will be waiting mm. is more of a, like a patient kind of rock song, almost like MGMT or something mm. like that. Donnie Darko is almost prog in the in the its patience. Uh, the one where I think they do sound unique to anything is Falling Into Me, which mm. is like this three part synth prog genius uh, and has some of the most beautiful, brilliantly abstract kind of lyrics. My one of my favorite opening lines of a song is I I paved the back streets with the mists of my rain and I asked them who wrote that line and they were like oh we both wrote it I was like one of them said oh I paved the back streets with what and the other one goes the mists of my brain and that kind of goes to show that how their symbiotic mm. kind of relationship and that is the core of it because 
they have different voices that you can pick out, but the, when they're trading off lines, as they do in that song, I think they go like alternate lines. You can't really tell; they kind of blur together. And I haven't seen them live yet, but I hear that on stage they play that with that trickery with backing lighting and stuff and synchronized dances, and and they kind of play with this twin, even though they don't look that similar. They they have a certain you know preternatural bond, mm. which is weird yeah. and interesting. And and I wonder when you're comparing it to Lord's melodrama. Uh, I I agree. Look, that is everything. Like the 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 comp- the true melodrama of the songs is is extreme, and what makes mm. them so like stick into you like barbs. Mm. And I wonder if uh, being in a twosome makes it harder to be that passionate. Because that's an interesting point. I've not thought about. Yeah, that's fair. But if anyone's going to do it, I feel like it's these two because they are so in sync with each other it seems and i just think all ears i'm all ears is such a vibrant they when i spoke to them one of probably my favorite interview i've ever done they were just so alert and i loved watching their interaction and they were so happy to be talking about their songs and i don't know if they'd heard some of the questions i had before but they treated every single one like it was the first time they'd never they'd ever heard the the questions and uh and i like the way they talk about their songs in terms of colors i would say that uh, Lord has said she's got synesthesia. I wouldn't be surprised if these two have, mm. have, a, have a number of that as well because they, they talk about how the, each song has a different color attached to it. And if you look through the lyrics, every there's many colors and stuff in their songs. And it, even just down to the album cover is quite a, a vibrant and, and polychromatic thing. And I just think it was it, it was a perfect summer album. We've still got some summer left. Uh, so yeah, stick that one on while the sun is still out. Well, I think it's going to be so to October, thanks to global warming. No I, but my hair as I try to justify. No I, no third on the list we have one Otrix point never which is called age of yeah which is like his ninth album now which is quite a long way in uh but i reviewed this one and i made the point that this is his third proper album for warp fourth if you count the good time uh soundtrack but he counts this as his third album for warp and before that he released on mexican summer and software and, and things like that and that kind of suited him at the time because he was making more electronic strictly electronic music whereas for the last three on warp especially the last two garden of delete and now age of he has started making almost i don't want to call it pop but he started using his voice and getting other voices in on this new album he's got the likes of uh prurient aka vatican shadow aka dominic fernow singing a little bit he's got anoni who's an incredible presence obviously they were an incredible duo together on anoni's album a couple of years ago and they reteamed here and uh one of the songs the station he actually wrote for usher weirdly enough uh but that never came into fruition and now it's on um age of and you can actually hear what how how it would have worked for usher like this top line that he's got is quite uh catchy and the beat itself is completely alien to anything you're likely to hear in an r&b song on the radio but if Usher was singing it, it might have worked. Um, Age of is kind of a concept album about 
uh, two AIs at the end of time. No, uh, what what they they're trying to recreate human existence through music, or, or trying to be like humans, and these are the songs they make. And I love to dig into that. So when I wrote my review, I wrote about how like how believable it is that some of these songs would be written by artificial intelligence, especially like a song like Babylon, which starts off like this kind of weird singer, folky singer songwritery song, and gets warped and has really cheesy lyrics uh, right alongside completely nonsensical, almost like error code lyrics. Um, and I really bought into this album. I know people weren't as crazy about it as going to delete. And I think that's your position, isn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah, well, I think that, that it's grown on me a lot. Um, so I was indifferent when I first heard it, almost like purely, even like just on a very basic fan level of it not being Garden of Delete. I I, I didn't like it as much, but like um, it's grown on me a lot. Uh, like once you understand what it's actually going for, that it's going for these different melodies, that it's going for this quite stop-start thing, and I think it helped when I saw it Prima. It did help to try and grasp that a bit more. Yeah. Um. So I, and live it was incredible. Yeah. And so just the, especially the echoes and the reverberations of it with a good set of speakers. And I think it does, and it does. It may sound like a cop out that oh, this you have to appreciate it fully. You have to listen to it through like very good sound system or something. But it does make a big difference. I'm not saying that's necessarily a, a criticism or a beneficiary of the album. I'm just saying it's a almost like objective truth that that's the case, and it and it just sounds like it's in, like it's beautiful and it's unsettling, yeah. And it's not as it's not as abrasive or as kinetic as Garden of Delete, but it's arguably it it's more cohesive. Yeah. And there's the like there's both the the vocal samples and there's like the mandolin yeah. and everything. It, the fact that they are recurring elements to it gives it a sense. A sense of cohesion, a sense of like movement, that I think works really well. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely, it's probably one of the albums that's grown on me most this year since yeah. first hearing it. And Daniel Lopatin continues to be one of the most truly unique producers, music makers out there. He's got a, he's his varies his influences vary from sci-fi to sci-fact. <laughs> uh, so he, he um, and he tunes that into these weird productions um some other highlights i just want to point out toys 2 which is basically his sequel to that awful robin williams movie toys <laughs> from the early 90s um and just bits that do sound like machinery coming to life and things like i just i don't know i love it and uh there is like a, a kind of warped social commentary in that and it's worth looking at any interviews that he's done with Dazed and other people and yeah as you said the live show is incredible the fact that he's doing this uh, with a four person band goes to show how many different elements are at play and why it is important to hear on a good sound system because every factor of it is is really important to the whole and he's coming back to the roundhouse in March so everyone should come to that because it's one of the best shows I've ever seen uh, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Age of by One of Tricks Point yeah. Never I think they were hope well, that'd be cool if he, he did none. I've only seen him live that one time and he just did all of Age of, then left. Yeah. So it would be cool to see him do other stuff. But yeah, let's move on. Uh, even at the Barbican, I think he's just doing Age of stuff in this tour, but then in the yeah. encore, he did a couple of older tracks. Oh, nice. He did Child of Rage from Garden of Delete and he did Chrome Country from the end of uh, R Plus 7, which is amazing. But yeah, mostly it's, uh, it's Age of stuff. Thank you. 
move on to Sophia with uh, pearls. Uh, oil of every pearls on insides. Yes. Which apparently someone pointed out is supposed to sound like I love every person's insides. Oil of every pearls on insides. Okay. Which um, kind of goes in hand with the themes of yeah. it, of her, yeah, of yeah. her oh, yeah, self-discovery and, and kind of blossoming into where she is now. Uh, you wrote up this one. You love it. I, I, I did. I, I adored it. Um, I think it is... Uh, it's not perfect, but it's a brilliant... Um, it's a terrific concept in terms of what she's doing both thematically and across the record. Yeah. And it's also you like a brilliant try and execution. For, for people who um, don't know what it is. So what well, Sophie's, Sophie's um, just recently transitioned to a trans woman um, and pretty much the album is based around her emotional, physical and psychological processes of going through that and how society views her and how her fr- her the people she loves views her and it's really i think it's inc- it's incredibly it's not it's not subtle is not the correct word but it's it's very vague i guess and that is careful. it's very speci- yeah it's careful yeah, it's like careful images and careful one-liners where you instinct you intuitively understand what she's talking about but it's not it's it's like she she does it in such a as you say careful way that makes it more powerful and something you'd understand better because of it and it, it, I guess it's like the the where it's like the the it's di- direct but also imagistic where it has that the the power of poetry on top of the power of the content I guess is the thing to which like her lyrics are incredible like she's like an incredible lyricist and then. Which, as she's now become typified by the really abrasive bass lines, the three o three beats and everything like that, and which just the pulverizing, which she's she's now lent to production, as we say with Let's Eat Grandma and a few other artists, and it's just and she's got like and she also has that when she she actually sings for the first time on it's on it's okay to cry and it's it's gorgeous. Though a lot of people think it's the weakest song in the record, which I think is quite interesting. Interesting. Um, one of the songs like Pony Boy and Face Shopping, it's it's like it's really pulverizing. It's the idea of like this anger inside her and the anger that's facing her and the vulnerability is you no, know, it's okay to cry and and uh, pretending as well. And then on the end, the whole new world. Yeah. It's this like the the anger and the vulnerability becomes in this triumphalism that's so empowering. Yeah. Which I guess is also presaged by immaterial, which I genuinely reckon is the only contender to pick up for Song of the Summer, in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah, um, Immaterial Girl is just a straightforward pop banger that you would kind of expect to hear on a on a on the radio. But it has this message to it. Maybe not in isolation, but as part of the whole record. Mm-hmm. It definitely it, this record is interesting because Sophie was known for singles beforehand, but this is definitely an album album that goes on a journey. Um, my favorite track on the record is after face shopping is done. We're going to Is It Cold in the Water, which really? is this almost okay. operatic mm. kind of. She's hitting these falsettos over this very uh, placid um, uh, arena of sound, and she does another ambient kind of track later on, uh, pretending, which is incredible too. And I think this is album 
in terms of its tools and and use, it's actually not a million miles away from OPN. Mm. Like they love to use the harsh ed, both live like different synthesizer sound, harsh beats, playing with voice. But whereas OPN goes to a very dark and fictional sci-fi universe, Sophie brings it brings her music towards the real reality and the light, and and the the color palette is completely different. And it's interesting how expression can be so pure through electronic instruments uh as proven by these two albums um i think the sophie one is is a really powerful statement um and it was not what i was expecting considering they're calling this her debut but um i don't know a lot of people would think the the one from a couple of years ago what was it called Uh, Uh, i can't remember what it was called but it was technically her debut but yeah like it's it was basically just more of a compilation album of like singles she'd released the past few years. Yeah, which is kind of what I was expecting this album to be, but for it to have this this whole arc and sweep and and be this document of someone coming into themselves and and becoming one of the eminent pop producers in the world right now is just quite stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I would I think. Is, is I think everyone can find something to like on this. I think it is kind of an indicator of where pop music is going in the future as well because you can hear how she's produced Let's Eat Grandma. I think a song like It's Not Just Me from the Let's Eat Grandma album produced by Sophie is kind of what I think is modern pop. Mm, yeah. Um, and then future, and then there's some songs that sound like futuristic pop like Face Shopping. Mm. I think it's such a weird and hypnotic. It kind of reminds me of something like the model by Kraftwerk, mm. how ahead of its time that was yeah how this is kind of uh gonna kind of be a guiding light for where things might go in the next few years of pop so yeah i think oil of every pearls on insides is very much worth checking out and it gets all this accomplished in 40 minutes yeah which is great, yeah yeah it? it's, you know, especially since the last song takes up about a quarter of that as well yeah um, so yeah, Sophie, uh, check it out. It's generally brilliant. Easily top ten of the year for me so far. Go go for it. My face is the real shop front. My shop is the face front front. I'm real shop face. means that our number one of june must be even more top 10 than sophie well when i made my end of the year when i made my year so far lists this this came at number two and it is snail mail with lush her debut album following on from uh the habit ep a couple of years ago which i liked at the time uh i thought it was cool um and then we, I think we probably talked about it on this podcast a couple of times, but we saw her mm. first gig of 2018. She, Lindsay Jordan played her first London show solo. And I just was not ready for that at all. No. <laughs> like how powerful, gritty, present she was, how mature she was for her age, how much like, power she has in her voice. Um, and yeah, from then I was hyped about the album. Like hype was off the charts and mm. somehow 
launched has lived up to it yeah. in every or way. Or exceeded it, really. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I've listened to this album more than any other album this year, mm-hmm. and I could carry on listening to it every single day for the rest of the year, probably. It's just, I don't know, I don't even know what it is. I, there's some people who it's completely lost on who just say they hear a, a, a plain indie rock album, mm-hmm. and I can kind of understand that but there is something to her and to her guitar playing and her lyricism and her honesty and the dynamics of the songs and the the pure passion that comes out in some of these the parts of the songs it's just unbridled raw and and i i can't get enough of it what do you think so like i i agree i agree completely but i'm baffled by what other people do but i actually i think i love it for different reasons so like yeah. i do love the the honesty and the passion and she's one of the most powerful vocally one of those powerful people in indie rock just now but what i don't understand people when people say it's just another indie rock album is that the fundamentals on lush are so far better than your average indie rock album yeah like the other ones have like quite they, they just go for catchy riffs and everything but like it seems on lush it seems everything is calculated to perfection yeah. it sounds exactly as you'd hope it sounds it's just every riff every chord change is satisfying every key change is satisfying and that's why it's called lush that's why i asked her why did you call it lush and she's like because i wanted it to sound lush i mm. sat there in the chair next to my producer and i told him every single sound i wanted and that's what yeah and it's, i think the best example of that is again one of my favorite songs of the year was pristine and it's just everything that ha- it's quite it's a remarkably expansive song for what is effectively just a just your run of the mill indie rock um love lorn song but like the number of chord changes and key changes is, is remarkable the number of like lost time time signatures and everything it's it, like it's incredibly complicated as it sounds but it's also incredibly effective and simplistically effective and it's like is if you hear it live on seven pints you're not going to hear all the rest of it you're just going to hear how it just clicks and then when it's on that bridge and it has like that that more urgent riffing on the bridge is going to be one of the most satisfying things when you're drunk and everything and you're singing that chorus back to her and it's just and that's just rep it's not maybe the rest of the album doesn't quite reach that level but if it was it'd be hands down the album of the year yeah, yeah. but and, and, and how many everything people can else? write a pristine at 19 yeah. years old yeah. and if you haven't heard pristine it is a perfect song it is a perfect song it is a perfect song and like it's probably the most it's not my favorite song of the year. It was probably the most perfect song of the year in terms of like you just like just like even if you're going properly academically into it, there's nothing you can do to improve that song. No. Um, and it is, uh, the rest of it, just like it's not just pristine. Obviously, you've got songs like Heatwave, songs like Golden Golden Dream, songs like Deep Sea. These are just that, and they, it largely revolves around a, a, like romantic angst balanced heartbreak. with heart, well, a yeah, heartbreak balanced with some ruminations on. Like depression and loneliness and, and living in a small town let's find an out is this one song in the middle that's uh, the one where she plays acoustic guitar and she can really tell her classic guitar training on that just the way she nimbly is pl- is switching chords it's unbelievable and i met her and her hands are not that big i don't know how she does it um but yeah she's been learning guitar she was, she was a child and she's been taught by rock legends like mary timoney but i think she just has a natural ability with guitar and not just that so like you can be amazing at guitar but she has a natural ability with songwriting and not just the lyrics but the dynamics knowing when to pull back when to add a coda when to 
you know go like do a, a breakdown and um i don't know there's just these, every single one of these songs kind of picks up the momentum and move keeps it moving it never feels stuck it feels beautifully flowing even and i think the lyrics are they're definitely associated with teenage angst but they are expressed so not like complicate complexly and there's no great metaphors or anything but there's just something about it that is very truthful and feels very um passionate like a, a song from pristine a line from pristine just feels like the same party every weekend doesn't it doesn't it and then the way she mm. spits it out she's got this kind of punk attitude she was cool when i met her i think she's gonna be an interesting one to watch and being so she's like people have almost have already anyone who's uh sipping the kool-aid like we are is seriously like we're, we're downing the kool-aid yeah, <laughs> but she's like got a mini cult following already mm. she's already and she's already done a lot of like fashion shoots and stuff and she's only 19 years old uh i always worry about her, people like her and i know i worried about lord as well about them burning out but i hope that they can just keep going and and keep making songs this interesting and amazing and who knows where they'll find inspiration from when they're on these kind of journeys into stardom especially lord but even snail mail is on a, on her way to a certain level of stardom um it'll be interesting to see how that affects them going forwards yeah yeah it certainly will so lush by snail mail highly highly recommended yep. from both of them. yeah absolutely our favorite album from june of this year And now we're going to sh shift over into July. Well, I can imagine we're probably going to have, le on average, less to talk about um, on yeah. the, in these records. It's not been a vintage month, but July is never a vintage yeah, month. Yeah, I in think July is usually when um, the industry kind of takes a little break and people go on festivals and holidays. Yeah, and so I'm yeah, kind of surprised that our number one was released in July. Yeah. Um, but we'll find yeah. out what that is when we get to it. If you know me, then you know what it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, I think you can lay if, if Andy Johnson's listening, he can guess what it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, if anyone <laughs> out there who likes rock music knows that this came out, they know that there's nothing else that could really come no. out. But anyway, let's start at number five with The Internet. Yep. Whose, name, whose album, Hive Mind, uh, The Internet, Led by Sid the Kid. She still go by Sid the Kid these days? I think it's more just Sid, isn't just it? Just Sid. Sid. yeah. After uh, last year's album. Um, yeah. Uh, who originally was a member of Odd Future. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of... It's interesting that, that Odd Future was genuinely... Uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. But it was a... Like uh, ensemble. Yeah. Or it was a... It was an ensemble from which there were some genuine starts that have come out of it. Mm -hmm. Frank Ocean, Tyler, and now Sid, who's doing her own solo thing, and she's doing the internet. Um, Hive Mind, is it their first proper solo album? Proper oh, proper album? I don't know. I think so. But um, I always thought of the internet as kind of a lo-fi uh, R&B thing, but this is a fully fleshed out, 
uh, deep and soulful album, very sexy. Sid is singing to women throughout the album. I don't know if it's the same woman, but I feel her. She's 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 looking for those hookups, and she's got the style and the smoothness to kind of pull it off. I think some of the songs on here, like Mood, are really good. Come over, um, and it is just a really it kind of hits a mood and mood is the middle track. And that, I think that's kind of on purpose because I feel like the, the whole album cultivates a mood, a very kind of sexy, low lit, chilled out, almost stonery mood and kind of rides that throughout. And uh, it's a good fun. It certainly is. I, I, I'm thinking about board. I've only listened to it once, but it was just, like, it was very, easy. it was very good music to work to. Yeah. And when I did, like, when and there was, like, it was one of those situations where, where Sid would, would, like, there would be actually a really sharp one-liner, a really, like, se- like sexy line, and it worked really well. Um, I think it, it is more varied than I was expecting. There's got, like, sort of the low, that low blues, soul, down-tempo stuff, but when it kicks up its pace and it, it's almost a bit thundercat then it, it works it works really well. Is that, like, yeah. sort of a- animated funk. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like it. I like it quite a lot. I don't know if I've heard an album with a led by a homosexual woman that is quite so explicitly about uh, trying to attract women. Like Snail Mail is gay, but she, and her songs are about women, but they're not so explicitly that way. You Saint Vincent, Saint Vincent, but even her, like maybe towards the the more recent stuff. But this one is like she's constantly calling her girl or woman or making it very explicit that she's talking mm. about which I don't think I've heard that in an album before that from a woman which is cool mm. I enjoyed that yeah yeah um, cool. so check out Hive Mind by the internet yeah go for it And next up, we have Lotic. Yeah, so Texan producer, another producer who's gone through transition and prefers to be referred to as they rather than he or she. Um, they put out a couple of EPs um, that were very... Have you heard any of their previous EPs? I've not listened to the EPs. No. They are much more dark, uh, experimental, techno-type stuff. I don't think her voice was ever... Their voice was ever used in any of the previous EPs, but makes quite an impression on power which is the name of their debut album and has a lot to do with that you know taking the power of being of of your identity and 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 uh, kind of shoving in people's faces who don't like it it's kind of a texan attitude mixed with an extroverted person in transition is cool uh songs like hunted are kind of these kind of uh, is a very is kind of the anthem of the album uh very in your face and and uh explicitly uh, it's an explicit kind of i'm gonna be who i'm gonna be uh and fuck you if you don't like it and even the songs uh where she goes through some more uh you know doubtful phases like fragility and heart they are still powerful and power is the word that comes that make that this album makes me think of i think they have done a great job of kind of turning this internal struggle into 
uh, an electron experimental electronic album similar very similar ilk to Sophie. Anything else to say about Lotic? Um, no, I think you've really summed it up quite well. Again, as you say, like it's it's quite intense, but it's, it's quite experimental, and it's like it's very like interesting. There's lots of often moments where you just like your ears prick up and you do make pay specific attention to it. And it's, it's not something I would turn to quite a lot. Yeah, like it's not. It's, it doesn't have like the emotional connection or the the you know the interest peak of anything but and on its like its own individual merits it's quite impressive and it's, yeah. it does it, it it's very well it's very accomplished so yeah, it's, it's, it's a really solid album and, and um, it's one that i feel has flown under the radar a bit so i'm glad we've got the opportunity to shout it out if one person listens to it power by lotic that's l-o-t-i-c i'll be happy <laughs> Third, we're smashing through July because, as we said, not a great, not a great month. But then yeah. now we start getting to like, I guess, at least like three that we are big on. Yeah. At this point. and August is coming back in a big way. Oh yeah, with releases. But anyway, number three from July, Ross from Friends with Family Portrait. He's a Bristol producer. I thought he was American because of the name Ross from Friends, <laughs> um, but he's from Bristol. And good name, I think. Ross from Friends. Yeah, better than DJ Seinfeld. No. <laughs> um, what other what other sort of like nineties sitcoms are they kind of like Fre- Fraser Fraser what what who we could work in Fraser like uh, you can just do DJ Fraser that'd be a rip off yeah, yeah you need to be something Alec McBeal <laughs> Ali MC Beal <laughs> um, anyway Ross from Friends Family Portrait some people have taken against this album because of it's outwardly kind of um, odd oddness or pasticheness. Uh, some people think he's kind of making fun of techno music, which in a way he kind of is, because mm. he's making these tech house songs with set live saxophone in them, which he brings on stage. And uh, I read the interview with him in Loud and Quiet, and he was saying that when he did that on this most recent tour, a lot of people were just like turned off, like this is not techno music, especially at festivals, they would start walking away, like what the fuck is this? But I think Family Portrait is a really interesting, unique and fun album. Um, and it's called Family Portrait because it is inspired by his family, especially his father, who was also a musician, who got him into a lot of this stuff. And um, I don't know if you can really tell that from the album, but you can tell that it's a loving kind of album. It starts with a track called Nick, Happy Birthday, Nick, and uh, a later song called Don't Wake Dad, but then it also has really weird stuff like Thank God I'm a Lizard, uh, which is the second track. And it just repeats the line, thank God I'm a lizard, over and over again. It kind of gets stuck in your head till the point where you think, maybe I am a lizard. Um, <laughs> what do you think of it? Yeah, I really like it. Um, so I mean, I made this point to you on Saturday, so a few days ago, when when, when um, we met up at Visions. That I think, and because it's, it's these like sort of very, like, it's kind of peculiar, but also catchy house, tech house songs that that grow on you with every lesson. Because when you first listen to it, you enjoy, oh, this is cool. But it's not until you, the more you listen to it, the more you start to appreciate it. And I think, I think that it's going to be this year's bicep mm. in that regard. 
Um, maybe not quite as populist, but in terms of the idea of like growth on yeah. you, and because there is individual bangers on this, like um, Project Cyberson. Yeah, I love that. That's thing. gonna that's gonna be on nights out. I wouldn't be surprised if we heard that on yeah. Friday when we go to, when we go to E One. Um, and but even sort of like Pale Blue Dot, like all the the singles were well chosen. Yes, like the band singles were well chosen. But like there's this like it's as this its oddness is solid. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't make a great album if the like the mechanics weren't as sound or as invigorating as they are. And they're just really it's a really just it's a really accomplished album and it does what it says to do while still being very interesting. And I think there's not been that many um electronic or dance albums out this year that have been as sonically interesting or yeah. as innovative. Um and I think to do with that while retaining all the hooks and the drops that that are requisite for a solid dance album is very yeah. impressive. It's also kind of acidy mm, in some yeah. in places, which always kind of varies things up a little bit, makes it a bit more. Uh, what's the word I'm like? Oh my goodness, it's too hot. I don't know. But and also, I think the the live sax thing actually gives him something else, like a little ace hole, like on Project Cybersign when that sax does come in towards the end, it's just a moment of pure like, yes, this, I didn't realize that this song would be building towards that, but that is the perfect kind of ejaculation of joy that this song needed out of nowhere. And the way it's kind of woven into other tracks as well works really well. And I just think the way he's kind of programmed his drum machines or whatever is quite unique, the way they kind of wobble and, and quake a little bit. I don't know how to describe it, but it doesn't sound like it, that many other albums no. on you know he's on ninja tune which is a label renowned for kind of doing slightly different things the helena half album that's just come out is a good example i'm sure we're talking about next time mm-hmm. leon vinehall's album which didn't make our cut for june but i really like is another good example they they're out there looking for people who are who are doing things slightly off kilter to what everyone else is doing and so i think ross from friends is perfectly at home with his album family portrait on ninja tune yeah, definitely. I know. I'm really hoping he, he, you know, gets in with all the other Ninja Tune lot, and we see him at Printworks or Tobacco Dog or something this year yeah. when they do a big, a big print Ninja Tune celebration. That'd be cool. I really want to see him. Play, I wonder. Uh, what, I'm, I'd like to see him do a live show. I wonder yeah. if he can DJ as well. Yeah. A live show would be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> Number two. Number two, we have Wild Pink. Yoke in the Fur. Have you figured out why it's called Yoke in the Fur yet? Uh, I haven't actually. I've not read it anywhere, but... Uh. You love this album, don't you? I, yeah, I, I'm really like it. It's one of my favourite rock albums of the year. Um, the point I made is that it's... It's like a combination of like... I guess it's... In a way, it's like a, tran- it's like a substantiation of the last Wild Pink album, which is, was in its own way... Um, a blend of the point of like, between like the classic rock adjacent of uh, um, War on Drugs, um, and that it's got the very soaring and like you know Springsteen esque 
like guitars, it's all that the reverb on it. It's it just screams like Americana yeah. sort of thing. But there's the the an, an emotional honesty and also so the, the riffs like the actual like the chords themselves are new wave emo. The the emotional honesty is new wave emo. It, it's actually like in many it's 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 not about depression and it's not about mental health. It's about the inanity of every of the everyday mm-hmm. yes it's, yeah it's just about like trying to go through life trying to accommodate just just being, being yourself guy. yeah just being a normal guy and just trying yeah. to cope with knowing you're normal yeah and john ross i think that's his name it just yeah puts being a normal guy into such pretty pictures mm. in his words and and then musically as well they kind of saw the the comparison to war on drugs is very much pronounced on this album. I think you texted me saying it's like if the War on Drugs made a synthwave album, which is it's, it yeah. sounds exactly like that. Um, it has these big, beautiful, broad, open guitar chords, plenty of like lofty synths. It has it, it, it brings up the same kind of open road Americana imagery as the last uh, War on Drugs album. Obviously, it's not as pristinely and massively produced as war on drugs but it doesn't need to be because the whole idea for wild pink is being a normal guy and and experiencing these normal quotidian things um i it would be weird if they actually got successful but they deserve to but he just seems like a normal dude who, who lives his life and and writes songs and the fact that they've brought out this album so quickly after the last one just speaks to their kind of hard working nature as well um, and although it is kind of all of a piece, there are some points where they try some different things. Like Lake Erie is a bit more of a rocker, mm. edgy song, and that's got. A hell- oh, sorry, just a button, but I just admit that has got a hell of a transition from the previous song, yeah. where it just like fades and kicks in beautifully. Yeah, yeah so that's so another point that kind of reminds me of War on Drugs. Is the sequencing is obviously mm. a big part, and the, and yeah, the way they transition from one song to another one will kind of fall into a, a lull to end and it will just kick back up onto the next one like that transition from Burger Hill to Lake Erie the lead track Yoke in the Fur has is like a multi-part thing uh, uh, and Ian Cohen wrote an incredible review of this on mm. Pitchfork uh, which I would highly recommend um, but he compared Jules Drost in the runoff to uh, Cocktail Twins which mm. is probably quite accurate but the song it reminds me of is jimmy world's here you me weirdly enough um <laughs> it really reminds me of that all the time and i love that song so uh if you like the song you should check it out but um and he's quite a poetic lyricist yeah, he was just looking at the track names like yoke in the fur which i don't know what that means jules drost in the runoff don't know what that means either um the seance on saint augustine street they they are just kind of pictures in themselves these song titles uh, and I, I don't know, I get kind of like a pastel image um, pictures from listening to the songs on Yoke and the Fur and, and Wild Pinks, I feel like they're the most unoffensive band you could imagine. They're yeah. even more inoffensive than Death Cab, who they are also kind of reminiscent mm. of, maybe mm. more on the previous album than yeah. this one. But I always used to think Death Cab was the most inoffensive band, but now I think Wild Pink might be the most easily likable, most inoffensive band, and I hope they find an audience. Yeah, I think that, I think that's fair. I mean, they're, they're just, they're, they're just, they've got that very, like, understated, 
Lyris, like, um, John Rosses, and I think that's just the, uh, the perfect name for a guy who wants to write about the 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 mis- like the mundanity, like the pains of mundanity, is having a name like John Ross. <laughs> like yeah. Um, yeah, he's just a really really cool guy. Um, yeah, great, brilliant album, one of the best rock albums of the year, and I think it's that's one that's going to be quite timeless as well. I don't think that's going to be like a one where you hear the singles and you're just running through the singles. That's going to be one where you listen to the album through yeah. like in we- six months time weirdly or maybe appropriately I think last year's self-titled Wild Pink by the end of the year was being held up as the uh, one of the overlooked gems of 2017 yeah. I feel like even this album is going to still be in the same status yeah, probably yeah <laughs> but <laughs> like, I think it's 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 more people are into it and that's the important thing I'm changing And last up, our favourite album of July, we have Def Haven with yeah. Ordinary Corrupt Human Love. Talking about offending people, some people just can't handle Def Heaven, and you're not <laughs> much of a metal fan outside of Def Heaven, so what, do you, what is it about them that is so special? Well, I was making this point on Twitter, is that because I'm very dense on metal, I find it quite hard to articulate why it has such an effect on me. Um, I guess the big reason, and the main reason is... Listening to Death Haven reminds me of the first time I heard, well, when if still returned to Godspeed You, Black Emperor, in that there's something so unsettling at the same time beautiful about it. And I guess that if you're going to a very primal, arguably self-indulgent level of criticism, you'd get that's the, the very fundamentals of the human experience and that you're unsettled and you find, you find things either beautiful or unsettling and often at the same time. And I feel like that's just Def Haven captured so well in the intensity and ferocity of the lyrics. And because they are never anything short of perfectly melodious, they're never the, the harmonies of their vocals. And when they go from the intense riffs into the more like shoegazy style um, reverb guitars, or even like the choirs they had, the vocal yeah. qu- choruses, that one thing, it's, it's completely seamless despite the fact on superficial value the world's apart and it's truly very literally awesome in terms of the actual awe you have experiencing it yeah. i think this is nothing better than well it's not a song of the summer but in terms of mechanically i'd say it's the best song of the year in canary yellow yeah which is it's it's like it's like nothing like it's unbelievable it's 12 minutes long so it's always going to have like that that pedigree like that yeah. sort of like uh intellectual pedigree as a great song but it's a genuine journey yes and it may not have like all the hooks of an immaterial girl or a pickup but it's truly spectacular and it you've it's powerful and it's beautiful but like also just mechanically as a song it, it's perfect yeah and i i think it's similar to what you were saying about snail mail like mm. It sets itself apart, maybe not by being the most original, mm. but just by the mechanics and the way they do it and just the pure beauty and glory of listening to them in full flight. The production, that like, this is heavy, loud music, but it glides like a fucking 
jumbo jet. It just it's so beautiful and and the way that, that they are moving together in tandem as a force with George Clark as their singer who is probably the most divisive part of the whole thing because take him out and you do have pretty much pure beauty even in the most heavy riff parts but and then the beautiful parts are genuinely stunning but i think george clark's lyrics and vocals are a key part of it uh he is he's screaming which immediately turns people off but it is i don't know it's almost melodic in the way he screams it is a, 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 the sharpness to the muscle that is the rest of the music um ordinary corrupt human love kind of goes back towards what they were doing on sunbather where they go through peaks and troughs of loud and quiet and have more uh, uh restrained periods whereas on the previous album new bermuda was pretty much for the five tracks it was pretty much relentless noise uh with a few moments of of sitting back just to just to build up momentum to thunder in again and there are moments like that on ordinary corrupt human love as well especially on canary yellow and glint but i think that the inclusion of tracks like you without end which is basically a piano ballad so opening the album near in the middle i think sounds almost like a slow dive outtake mm. or an explosions in the sky song night people where they've got him singing in tandem with chelsea wolf is this really hypnotic very uh stately kind of ballads and i think that is interesting to hear them putting these in between these bigger 10 plus minute metal behemoth songs uh and it goes to show just how many how how diverse their influences and tastes are and 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 the way that they've managed to sew it all together so perfectly it just speaks to how incredibly talented they are as musicians and as writers and and visualizers of this 62 minute piece because even though it is seven tracks much like new bermuda and sunbather before it, it it is a complete whole um ordinary corrupt human love it's an intelligent album i don't know why i say that maybe because the title is a graham green reference and this the lyrics on honeycomb are inspired by uh Julio Cortazar, the Argentinian writer, mm. um, and there is a certain like amount of storytelling in the way that their songs move and and go through acts and phases. That it is song uh, parts of Canary Yellow almost sound like a symphony to me, especially in the middle. You could imagine it being transcri transcribed mm. for violin and played by a classical orchestra, even despite its loudness. It is so symphonic and and, and compelling and, and dramatic. And I just think, I don't know huge amounts about metal, but I, I've heard you know, a decent amount of other metal bands and no one is doing anything like this, mm. from what I can tell. So, fuck the haters. <laughs> Everyone listen to Deaf Heaven. Put your inhibitions on the back burner. Just listen to it. Try and appreciate it for an absolutely stunning, beautiful, powerful music that it is. And and I hope you'll get something out of it because I think they are doing something pretty incredible. Yeah, I agree. So there you go. Ordinary Corrupt Human Love by Deaf Heaven, one of the best bands in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, I not into mental, but like all three albums I sort of love so against by that margin I'd agree.
yeah, we've been there views from the four or five. Uh, we've got it clocked two months and under an hour. That's pretty impressive, in my opinion. Yeah, well, it's it's been summer. It's too hot. It's yeah. still too hot. It's too still too hot. Yeah, uh, August is going to be intense. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. Yes. Um. Uh, yeah, we'll see. You'll see you in a in a few weeks. Uh, I'm I've been Kieran at at no not that Devlin. And I'm Rob at Rob Hack on Instagram at Temporaryism on Twitter. At the 405 on Twitter is the most important one. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Follow the 405 for all your culture, music, film, and art needs. And the lols. And the lols. And the lols. <laughs> the we, we, do, we do a lot of lols. All right, uh, peace out. Peace out.